This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, we are also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. You are now listening to Indigo Radio, Deepening Understanding, Making Connections. We are on the air every Sunday at 1 o'clock. Um, you can also find us on um, um, the social media, um, SoundCloud, iTunes Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram and also on Facebook. Um, and we are a group of educators who are seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. Um, and the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests and not the radio station. Um, and today, well, I'll just introduce, I'm Nina Kunimoto, and I'm a local educator, and... This is Anna Milani for Indigo. Happy Sunday, everyone. And I'm also a local educator and also a student at UMass Amherst studying public health. And today, um, we've invited Dr. Paul Pierre, who is a Haitian physician and global health leader with two decades of experience managing complex healthcare operations in Haiti and various regions in Africa. Dr. Pierre earned his medical degree from the Université d'État d'Haïti in 2002. He then joined PIH, or Partners in Health Haiti, or in um, or Zanmi La Sante, and worked at its infectious disease clinics, um, first at Hospital Bon Saveur in Cange, and later at Hospital Saint-Thérèse in um, Hinch. After four years of work as a general practitioner in some of the poorest areas in central Haiti, Dr. Pierre went to study in France and the United States. Dr. Pierre received his Master's of Public Health degree from the University of Arizona in 2009 and then went to work in Southern Africa as a director of community programs at Partners in Health Malawi, or Abwenzi Pa Zaumoyo. He returned to Haiti after the 2010 earthquake and led the delivery of health care and other social services at the Partners in Health internally displaced persons camp in the Port-au-Prince area in the immediate aftermath of the disaster. Dr. Pierre later served as a senior advisor for Zonmi Lassante and deputy executive, executive director of the university hospital at Mirebelles until October 2013. In 2014, Dr. Pierre led the Ebola response in Sierra Leone um, for Partners in Health and later served as Program Director of Leadership Development and later on as Deputy Chief Medical Officer at Pro um, Partners in Health in Boston in 2017. Um, Dr. Pierre has extensive experience delivering clinical care and strengthening health systems in developing countries. Dr. Pierre is a fellow in global health delivery at Harvard Medical School and currently serves as senior tuberculosis and HIV medical advisor in Washington, D.C. for the Global Health Support Initiative. And as a lecturer at the Faculty of Global Health Delivery at the University of Global Health Equity in Kigali, Rwanda. So we have an amazing guest today. And um, before we jump in, we're, we're, our topic today is Haiti and public health and, and equity. Um, we're going to play a song that was actually recommended by um, 
Dr. Pierre, uh, we asked for some song suggestions because we wanted to keep the songs relevant. Um, Dr. Pierre, are you on the air? Can you hear us? Yes. Um, yes, great. Do you want to... Um, so the first song I'm going to play is Haiti Cherie um, by Stevie Mahi. I'm probably pronouncing that very wrong. And uh, James Germain. Could you um, tell us a little... Do you know a little bit about the song that for our listeners? Yes, so thanks for having me on. Um, very happy to be here. So this song is um, it's about Haiti. It's from Steve Mahi. She's a French, French singer. She's originally from the... Um, island of Guadeloupe, um, it's a one of the French territory in the Caribbean. She's, she's singing here with um, James Germain, which is one of the Haiti, uh, one of the best known vocalists in Haiti. Mm. In that song, she's describing um, some of the beautiful um, sites in Haiti, but also going over the um, history of Haiti. Mm. The line she's repeating again and again is yeah. Haiti, Sherry, mm-hmm. um, La Vie Parfini. So, which means, Haiti, my darling, life still, there is still life there, and mm. change may still come. Yeah, Please yeah. continue to smile. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad we're starting with that song. Um, and just for our listeners, we will, you know, when we get into a conversation with Dr. Pierre, we're going to, you know, really think about the history of Haiti. So um, let's listen to um, Haiti, Haiti, Sherry. Qui 
That was Haiti Cherie, and you're listening to Indigo Radio every Sunday at 1 o'clock on WVEW. This is Anna with my co-host Nina, and we are here with Dr. Paul Perry, uh, who is a Haitian physician and global health leader. Um, Dr. Perry, thank you so much for being with us here today. My pleasure. We would love to start with you introducing yourself and telling us uh, about about your work and what your connection is to Haiti. Okay, thanks again, um, Nina and Anna, for having me in this show um, and sharing some of my understanding um, of the current situation in Haiti. So um, my current work, um, as you uh, mentioned in your very flattering um, bio, um, it, I mean, the work I've been doing for the last five years here in Washington, D.C., from where I'm, um, I'm working right now, is to advise on how best to use available public health funding to reach the people, families, and communities that are suffering the most from tuberculosis and HIV. So this is a new um, area in my work. But in short, my, my current work is to help focus funding for tuberculosis and HIV on the issues that matter and will likely have the most impact on controlling HIV and tuberculosis pandemic. Um, and I'm working mostly on um, with several Western and Central African countries. Prior to this, I was involved in direct delivery of primary health care at Partners in Health for 15 years. I work in many places, including Haiti, where I spend most of my time, and um, Malawi, Rwanda, and Sierra Leone, among other countries. In terms of connection to Haiti, I mean, my connection with Haiti are very deep and numerous. I mean, I am from Haiti. I live most of my life in Haiti. I was born and raised in Haiti went to medicine school in Haiti and practiced clinical medicine in rural Haiti for um, the first five years um, after graduating from um, um, medicine school. Um, later on, I went to study abroad and work abroad, but I returned to Haiti after the 2010 um, earthquake and work in several parts of Haiti um, until 2013, where I um, moved away and stopped again working outside of the country. So really, I'm from Haiti. I was born and raised in Haiti. I work in Haiti, um, and I'm still and still have you know, my my extended family mm. lives in Haiti. That's wonderful. Um, so, Dr. Pierre, in light of um, Dr. Paul Farmer's recent death, um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your work with um, Partners in Health. And I don't know if you know. I, I'm not sure most Americans know much about Haiti or or even Partners in Health. So it might be you know explaining. Um, uh, you know, what is Partners in Health and what they have done um, in Haiti. So, yeah, and, and what your reaction is um, to his passing. Thank you. Um, so, sadly, the passing of Paul really reminds us of some of the things we have took for granted in Haiti. I mean, personally, Paul, former, has touched me in so many ways at a personal level. Um, I, I, will, I, I will say when I graduate from when you complete medicine school, and that's my personal story, when I complete medicine school, because I was in the public school, I had to do what they call one year in social service in rural Haiti. So rural Haiti, um, you have the capital, which is Port-au-Prince. That's where we get most of the economic life. But most of the people in Haiti live in outside of Port-au-Prince. Um, so, but most of the care 
or is available within Port-au-Prince. So it's kind of the, you have to give back to the public sector when they send you to do your social service. In general, this is like a nine-month duty. You have to rotate in that um, rural facility. So I went there to do nine months and then to return to Port-au-Prince to, to do my residency. And then I meet Paul Farmer in like the middle of nowhere mm. in that small clinic called Kanj. And that's where he was working. And yeah. at that time, the work was really focused on HIV patient mostly, but really working, providing what, what we call primary care, like really the most uh, common infectious disease, the kind of top 10 diseases that people are suffering the most, which include malnutrition, uh, maternal um, um, mortality, I mean, all the, all the issues you will face in, in countries similar to Haiti. And really, that, that, that meeting with Paul will have like a very profound impact on me, because first, I, I was there for that nine-month um, rotation, I ended up spending five years there. Like, pretty much it changed what I thought medicine should be. And it changed, and, and that's not only for me, for the whole generation of physicians that had the chance to work with him. He kind of taught us what serving meant. Um, and serving with what he called disinteressment, which means that you're not doing this for your particular benefit. Mm. You're not doing it for, for you're doing it in, in because you have the sense of service, because you want to be useful mm. for where it matters the most. So, um, Port Medicine started in uh, that in that in 1980s when um, pretty much when HIV started. Um, yeah. um, um, and the, Paul, as an anthropologist, started working in that small locality called Kanj, mm -hmm. and that locality actually was um, you have a poor peasant population that were living in a very fertile um, area because they were doing a dam, a hydroelectric dam in that area, they mm -hmm. had to move the population on the mountain that is way less fertile um, and, and to do the dam. And, it, and the electricity was um, for Port-au-Prince, for the capital city, and not for the people in that oh, population. Right. So Paul kind of fell in love with that group of, um, with that population yeah. in the 1980s um, and start with that small clinic with Father Lafonta, yeah. um, one of the priests that was living in that area. And that's where Partners in Health or Zombie La Santé mm -hmm. started to work. So when I, so to make a uh, long story short, they start with like that small clinic and then that kind of um, um, grew into a large network of now I think they're pretty much almost like 15 or 20 clinics serving more than 1 million um, people within the whole Haiti, like mm -hmm. with, within the central plateau, which is the geographic department, but also within the whole Haiti. So really, Paul was the guy who started all this, who yeah. make us feel as medical student and resident and then physician that we need to be in proximity to mm. those who are suffering the most and not go to port point to the capital mm -hmm. and take care of you know, middle class or people who can pay, who can afford um, 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 healthcare. We need to be where we we can make a difference, where we can bring what we call what we call the pragmatic solidarity mm. to the poor. So the passing of Paul was, and and again, we took Paul for granted. We mm. always, I mean, people were, like me who have worked with him for f 15 years. We we were we felt that he was that person was always there was always say pretty much the same thing because. It was complex, but he had that moral clarity, and he was pretty much saying the same thing: like, you need to, we need to provide the best we can do, and we cannot take off ourselves. We cannot, you know, have this middle class selfish reaction and use some of the 
term that uh, the medical um, profession and auto profession have used mm. to uh, further stigmatize mm. um, the, the poor, like, you know, non-compliance, when a patient doesn't accept to take his drugs, and we blame the patient right. instead of figuring out how we can understand the patient context and provide um, that that care that is beyond that pills that we want the patient to take. So Paul was, um, and it's kind of weird for me to talk about Paul in terms of work because as you, as you can see, Paul, I mean, as you know, Paul is a, is a very young man. Um, yeah. And he was uh, a, 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 talking about him in the past tense, feel 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 weird. But mm. Paul has opened so many doors. In a way, he has given so much so much to the world in general, but really so much for Haiti um, that we cannot even really ask for more. Mm. But still, we will, we will, we will, it will be really missed. I mean, he's all, he's already really, really missed. So um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sad period for us. There is a lot of yeah. things that are not going right in the world, and and I think that's one of the things that really shocked us um, um, last week. Yeah. One of the, um, thank you for that. I. And, you know, our deep condolences to, to you and the whole PIH community and, and to really global health community. I'm a public health student myself, and Paul Farmer, for me, was uh, one of my introductions to understanding public health many years ago during my master's degree. And so mm -hmm. I also teach him to many of my students. And one of the things, and it sort of leads into our next question, one of the things that I have learned from Farmer's work is how he talks about how suffering uh, and disease and these embodiment of illness. So if you're talking about HIV or, or TB, or he would call them biosocial illness or how, they're, how suffering is structured historically and that you have to embed the individual within history and within the larger social, economic, and political context. And so I was wondering, um, and that, that really expanded my understanding of both public health and of suffering and of stress. And I was wondering um, if you could talk a little bit about the political, economic, and social context of Haiti and how that helps us understand uh, public health and justice within Haiti. Thank you for this. Um, so I would try, because this is complex. And um, as you know, I mean, probably we will not have the time to go in depth, yeah. in great depth with this. But it, it, it's also cliche to say that to fully understand a place, we need to understand it in, in history. But in Haiti, that's particularly true. And to go back, to kind of provide like a really short um, um, snapshot on this, um, Haiti became independent in 1804. Yeah. The colonial power who, quote-unquote, lost Haiti was France. And what France did at the time was more or less to reach out to all the other major countries, including the U.S., to make the case that they had no interest in accepting Haiti as a country, because its mere existence was a threat to the current world, to the world order at that time, and their own stability. Because at that time, most wealth was coming from more or less slavery business. And Haiti was kind of instigating slaves to rebel. And they were very successful. So really, the US and other countries really take, drag their feet to accept Haiti as a country. And it's only in, in 1862, 60 years after mm -hmm. Haiti was independent, that the U.S. officially recognized Haiti. So pretty much Haiti spent the first 100 years of its existence 
trying to be accepted as a country. Yeah. And for Haitian leadership, the bar was very low in terms of what they should do for the people. So the bar, so international policy was to make sure that Haiti is not being invaded. And internally, because they cannot focus on um, the socioeconomic welfare of the people, they just, the Haitian leadership had to build that elite that will serve as a buffer to the buffer to maintain the leadership there, but also to keep the the pool in the substandard living condition where that where they were. Mm-hmm. So in short, the external policy of Haiti was to prevent the occupation by an external power and internally to contain the mass. So mm-hmm. when you have that, you pretty much have the picture on how things will develop. So this has created a huge gap between the elite of Haiti, or the, what they, the so-called elite, and the, major, and the majority of Haitian people. So as ridiculous as this might seem, the poorest people in Haiti have more resentment for, for the middle class mm-hmm. and the so-called elite than the foreigners or the blanc, as they will call it mm-hmm. in, in Haiti. So that convergence of view in the what they call international community, leading by the years now, on Haiti, um, has, has really had detrimental effect and has divided the country. So now, the elite, because they, they, the wall has been to contain the masses, I mean, they've, they've created structure, and that's what Paul has demonstrated so well in, in some of his book, like um, Pathology of Power or the Uses of Haiti, mm-hmm. where he's showing you how the elite have created system, starting with French, the language French, yeah. uh, French, using how people, you know, some service are being provided, and they will speak French to you. So that means that, that excludes everybody who doesn't yeah. speak French, for example. Or... They will. The location of the service will be in a place where people don't have access to it. Like as I, as I said, most regions mm-hmm. concentrate or concentrate in the capital city. So those structural barriers has been put in place mm-hmm. not by foreigners but by the elites mm-hmm. just to contain the people because they know that there was no service. I mean, the the, the leadership, the state doesn't provide the service, the basic education healthcare to the people. So the, the elite had to contain them. And that's mm-hmm. what created that the, the, both of the issue we have with in terms of um, healthcare, but it's not different for education. Right, right. So in a way, you, we are tributary of that system that have squeezed mm. the uh, political leadership into that defense posture mm-hmm. where they are just trying to prevent, to get invaded by external power, but also repressing the local people because they cannot provide what they need as basic human rights. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for for that and really keeping it in the context of, you know, um, of how the health system really shows today. And it's so interesting. um, We showed the film uh, The Agronomist on Friday, you know, and and you had mentioned that your parents used to listen to Jean-Dominique. And one thing that stood out to me, you know, there's his push to, like, create film and create art in Haitian Creole, which is the language of most people um, in Haiti. and and for for the listeners who who don't does not know Jean Dominique, um, he was a um, a journalist, <laughs> not not 
what is it? Not voluntarily, <laughs> I guess, right? Um, but he was pushed into that, but he was initially an, an agronomist. Um, but I wonder, you had mentioned um, that your parents listened to Radio um, Inter. Um, but also, I wonder if you have any any memories of, of listening to Jean-Dominique or, or what your parents used to say about him. Yes, no, definitely. I mean, Jean Doe, we will call him Jean Doe, was one of the <laughs> main boys of, um, um, of Haiti, post Duvalier. Um, I was, my, my family, my, my mom and dad were familiar with Jean Dominique before he left Haiti um, on the Duvalier, but I get to know him when he returned. I mean, my mom was really um, addicted to Jean Dominique, and not only himself. Like, Radio um, Haiti has a great team, they had Lilian. They had Marvel, they have Sony, they have some other people that were, you know, good. But John Dominic was definitely the leader. Um, um, and, and, he, and he symbolized that resistance against Javier. And as you said, like, this, this is editorial in, in, um, in Creole. He will do every morning. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what was great with him, it was the way he understood words and the way he was uh, it was making it almost poetic. Like when he would be, you know, talking, he would say, "Hmm." Yeah. He would say something like, "We'll read." Like the military said that people should um, go home, you know, before dark because to prevent, you know, uh, robbers in mm-hmm. their country. And they would say that, and then he said, "Hmm." <laughs> so yeah. everybody knows that what he says is that that's a lie. But yeah, like, yeah. You read the official notes, and then he will just, you know, have a word. Hmm. Oh. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. So he will be like so genius at those things, and yeah. like everybody will understand. Like yeah. he will just read everything. Like he will. He, he had a way to give the news, and he had also the way to connect with people. Yeah. And I, I mean, he had tremendous impact on on all of us. Mm-hmm. And he also had that moral clarity. Like mm. he never. Like this guy was, I think, was approached by many, many president to kind of be part of the government or supporting them, etc. But he keep himself, he keep being autonomous, he keep mm-hmm. that rectitude. Mm. Um, and that's what makes it seem like some people feel like he was intransigent. I mean, there was another person I really like, which was another broadcaster called Serge Beaulieu, was more like, you know, an old Valerius. But, and, and they were fighting, to, you know, together. And, and, and no, that was like the quintessence of Haitian journalism. And mm. Jean, Jean-Dominique, still to this day, it's the name of the people that was really, really close to the poorest of the poor. Yeah. I will say, though, um, that Jean-Dominique was also part of what I was saying earlier, that the elite, yeah. like he was describing how the elite was suffocating the people. Mm. What I was saying earlier, maintaining the, the poorest of the poor into that servitude or almost slavery state. Yeah. So he was denouncing this. Um, I think that's kind of increased the polarization in the society, but that was true. So that's, the, Jean-Dominique was definitely one of the great inspirations for a whole generation mm. post-Juvalier. And, and it's unfortunate that he had to pass actually at a very early, early age, just like Paul. And, and, and Paul actually was close to him. And he in, was in murdered, like a yeah. Different way. Yeah, John Dominic was murdered by by the um, was it Tonton Makut, I believe, right? Because um, he was shot, I think, coming out yes, of his radio. Yeah, of his radio station. Yeah. Yes, that was a shock. I was in medicine school at that time, mm. and I remember the dean of the medicine school was a good friend of John Dominic. Was <sighs> just coming to teach parasitology. Yeah. And he was just crying. Oh gosh, yeah, like I could tears. imagine. And you know, and I think one thing um, when we had a suggested reading um, called the Long Haitian. Uh, 
the long road to Haitian revolution or something like that. And one sentence in that article, you know, is that a lot of people de-emphasize sort of, you know, these kinds of things like the resistances and, and you know, like people like Paul Farmer and Jean Dominique who are, are really like doing things differently. Um, so thank you for sharing that. That's so great. Um, so before we move on to the second segment, we're, we're going to play our second song. And I think, Dr. Pierre, um, I got the artist, and I'm probably not pronouncing it right, Erol Josué. You suggested a different song, but I couldn't find that. And this song is, is Vire Von. So I, I wondered if, um, <laughs> if you had anything to say about the artist or, or maybe the song. Sure, sure. I mean, this, you cannot go wrong on Ewald Jose. Every okay. single guy does is like great. So Ewald Jose is an Haitian, is an Haitian ethnologist. Actually, he's a oh. Ugan, he's a Vodou priest. Oh. He's also a choreographer and a vocalist. He's an immensely talented, gifted person. Um, he, so the word Vire One actually it was a great pick for the oh. song. Um, so the 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 One, and again, this is always kind of. Um, 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 you can interpret it differently because it's an artist's work, so he, he's the only one who knows what he, what he meant. But that, that refers to two different types of very popular games among Asian kids. Mm. One is a ball game where the kids try to shoot um, very small glass marbles against oh. each other and try to reach a target. The other game is a game where everybody holds their hand and kind of go into circles. Oh. In any case, VR1 means Let's reshuffle this. Oh. Let's take each other position because we don't want people to feel um, static or to feel to feel that they have privilege. Let's 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 shuffle this. Well, that's so perfect. Like <laughs> let's shuffle this because you, we don't want you with privilege to stay with your privilege. We don't want other who have unprivileged. So that's great pick. So oh yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you explained it. That's so great. All right. Well, let's listen to to. Can you pronounce it for me, Virevon or? Vire one. Vire one. Vire one. Okay. Thank you. I love you and I one I love you, 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 I love you,
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. This is WVEWLP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, which is also streaming live online at um, WVEW.org. You're listening to Indigo Radio, and um, Anna and I, who are hosting today, we are in conversation with Dr. Paul Pierre, who is a Haitian phys- physician, um, and he's been speaking to us about sort of the social, political, and economic um, history of in Haiti and how that sort of set up um, this stark inequities in in health and our main focus of our conversation today is public health and equity um, in Haiti. Uh, Dr. Pierre, this is Anna. I I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how Haiti has fared during the pandemic and with that, um, if you could kind of describe the landscape of health within uh, Haiti and, and also when I say that, I think there's so many ripple effects that have happened because of COVID. So if you could kind of just give us an overall understanding of what's going on in Haiti. Thanks. Um, so I th- so first, around coronavirus, I think it's, uh, it's um, fair to say that Haiti have handled um, coronavirus quite well. Um, we still, it, it's still unclear, um, or let's put it, there is very little evidence on how really um, this happened, frankly, um, because when we look at all the data in terms of number of hospitalization, number of deaths, um, they are really um, 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 below what we have seen in the so-called Western world. Um, but also the number of testing has been, it's been really low. Although if we even compare like the percentage of fatality in morbidity per testing, per um, number of people tested, we're still in the, in the green. So just to say that it, when you're looking at the data in terms of what, what has been the weight, what has been the impact of COVID on um, the Haiti healthcare system or and the Haitian population, you can say that Haiti has 
perform quite well. I mean, I think that we need to give a lot of credit to the Haitian healthcare professionals that you know, are dedicated or working in very difficult con- um, conditions. I would say uh, even at the state level, although Haiti has been dysfunctional in a lot of different ways, but they, the state has put that um, task force that, you know, with people that are, you know, with great renown like Dr. Pap and the, 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 the Ministry of Health um, officials. These guys have, have done a great job in terms of um, managing the case, um, sharing the, the information about coronavirus, try to, to, um, to make sure that people understand what, what it was. But again, um, Haiti also had some... Um, and, and again, it's not only for AD, it's also for, we have seen that in some countries in Africa where I work, like the Congo, um, for example. Haiti have a very young population, and you will not ex- have expect that young population to be affected as other population that are more senior with um, the impact of coronavirus. Um, Haiti also have a population that lives outdoor, the weather. I mean, we have seen, it's the same uh, logic for the, with the flu, with the seasonal flu you have less impact in that tropical um, context. Um, but again, if you don't have a thermometer, you will not see if you have fever. There is that element too. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of death happening normally, quote-unquote, in Haiti. Um, and and um, the expectation about how long people should live or when uh, people should die, it's really low. So it's really, um, with time, we will have a full assessment on what the impact has been. But um, superficially, based on the test and on the impact, um, it has um, really uh, very minimal disturbance in terms of life. So, um, hats off for the um, Haitian professional and the really courageous um, folks, like the people that have worked uh, that are working at the Nibale Hospital, which has been uh, I, I was part of, and I know they were at the front line of that work. So, in terms of the picture for the overall um, health system in Haiti, so the the the, the, the there is that quote, I think it's from, uh, uh, I forget that author, but he was saying, all families that are functional looks alike, but all families that are dysfunctional or unhappy, they are unhappy in their own way. Mm. So when I'm looking at uh, many countries that have health systems that are not functional, mm-hmm. they are all dysfunctional in their own way. And in Haiti, um, when I'm comparing other countries like um, Malawi, where I live and work, and the yeah. Congo, where I work, or you know, Rwanda, I could see a lot of strength in the Haitian health system. For example, the health, the human resources. Haiti have produced a lot of physicians, more than many of the other countries I've seen in Africa. Mm-hmm. Because we have, you know, a well-established um, medicine school. Now we have four or five of them producing each close to 100 physicians um, um, a year. We have a lot of physicians being trained in Cuba or in Dominican Republic. So in terms of human resources, mm-hmm. Haiti is well ahead with qualified health professionals. And you can see that in countries like the U.S. or in Canada, where there is a ton of very qualified um, healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. But um, aside of that, I mean, the health picture in Haiti is very, very bad. I mean, Haiti is spending, um, what, $64 per capita for healthcare. Mm. And if you compare that to the U.S., we're spending almost 12000 It's you know, it's, there's a big gap. But even if you compare um, Haiti to Dominican Republic, to Cuba, you, can, you will see that what Haiti is spending per capita, it's, it's not able to provide the basic mm-hmm. um, um, healthcare services. And you also have that over-concentration 
of healthcare in Port-au-Prince. Mm. And so most people who need care will not have access to the healthcare system. So we have a fragmented health system focusing on the people in Port-au-Prince. The state is not able to subsidize mm-hmm. the healthcare for the poorest of the poor. So most of the people doesn't have access to healthcare. And and just as you were talking, I was um, sort of thinking back to some of the reading that I did, um, you know, that uh, the article that I read said that, you know, that there's an, an NGO industrial complex that's flooded um, Haiti and probably, I'm assuming mostly Port-au-Prince, but I'm wondering if that's done, what effect that that's had, um, wh- whether it's public health or, or anything else um, in Haiti. Yes, no, that's a great, that's a great question. And, and now you, you have that big question. Is that, is the NGO flooding mm-hmm. Haiti? Mm-hmm. And I would say mostly, they're mostly in the rural Haiti. Is ah. that a consequence of the gap of healthcare that they are feeling? Or is that the cause that there is? I would say, arguably, it's, it's a consequence. Mm. And if you ask the person, Lambda, living in, um, in let's say, in, in Gracier or in Saint-Jean du Sud, are they happy? that there, are, there is a hospital, even if it's funded by the NGOs that mm-hmm. are providing some service, and when they have been into this section, they, they are able to get um, a physician who get, who get paid on time and who is able to provide that service? Mm-hmm. Yes, they would mm-hmm. say yes, we yeah. prefer to have that. So the NGOs are serving a population, and arguably you can say that that's the only source of reliable care that folks are getting. I mean, mm. uh, as I said um, earlier, I worked for partners for five years yep. in Ensh and Conj, and we were working in the public facility. So some of these NGOs, they are the ones running those public facilities. Oh, I see. So unfortunately, the NGO is the lifeline mm. of the Haitian health system. If you remove mm. that NGO funding and the, and the capacity of those NGOs to attract and retain Haitian professional, you just remove what keep the country, what keep the system running. Right. So I agree with you that when we will need, when um, there will be, a, you know, time to think and enough serenity to um, address the issues in a more secure way, mm-hmm. the NGOs will, the, the, the world will need to be with. Thought. Mm-hmm. We need to be, to be thinking how they can best be used in the country. And we have example. I mean, I've been working in Rwanda and I've been teaching in Rwanda um, in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I've seen how a country has been able to make a transition, yeah. like to limit NGOs in some, some capacity where they are strengthening the state, but the state is taking most of the of the of the of the of the work of providing primary health care, mm-hmm. um, and they have done that gradually. Mm-hmm. So. I will. I, I agree with you that the NGOs are part of the problem, mm. but depending on the angle, um, they are they are the current lifeline right. for and many millions Haitians. Right, and it sounds like because the structure, you know, like for example, right now there's a, um, you know, recently uh, Moise was assassinated, and there's upheaval, and and right now there's a strike going on, so there's a lot of like structural issues that 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 need need to be solved is what it's it seems yes um yes. yeah no no you're exactly right like the the state cannot um retain and attract talented folks mm. they, they are not paying folks on time 
and even the salary is not is not um, substantial. Mm-hmm. I mean, a physician in Haiti is making what like twenty five thousand goods. I mean, when you mm-hmm. look at that in terms of dollars, what does it's it's less than two hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So, and that's they cannot um, um, have a decent quality of life with that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we used to some of the NGO, and again, you got some NGOs that are working in that context and they are supporting, they are trying to um, catalyze the work mm-hmm. of the Ministry of Health. Like they use the work in the public facility, let's say they provide fuel for the public facility to, to, to function, they provide uh, additional human resources for the facility. But you have some that pretty much compete yeah. with the, with the, with the um, state. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think they, are, they might be harming Mm. But the population from on their side, and that's actually one of the clarity that you know the teaching of Paul gave us. Paul mm. Farmer gave us. It's really we need to deliver pragmatically to the poor. So the pragmatism in this is like who can deliver mm-hmm. the service for a suffering woman right now? Yeah, yeah. And 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 then once you solve that question, you can think about the long term. But yeah. we need care for people right now. We need to think of yeah. of the people that are suffering, like they are our cousin, our wife, you know, our kids. And then the the we'll, we'll have clarity in terms right. of what we need to do. But I agree, NGOs is part of the problem yeah. um, in Haiti. That's unfortunately. great. Thanks for nuancing and clarifying. That's awesome. I wanted to ask um, Dr. Pierre a, a question around your thoughts on global a global health system or the global public health system because i think that i mean you've worked in many different places and i know that there's i mean just like you were talking about the ngos there's such nuance to things and then there's also a lot of people that talk about how covid has really shown us the um brutal pitfalls and failures of a of a public health infrastructure and a global infrastructure um, and I think, you know, it's really not just COVID. I think other infectious disease outbreaks show us that I mean, our lives are incredibly linked. And I was just would love your thoughts on public health infrastructure on a global level and any thoughts that you think that that need to happen or um, should be happening. Um, thank you for this. Um, here, I think we have um, some there is some. Uh, um, common understanding, and that's not really my thought. That you know, many people think the same way on this. It's really that fragmentation. So, you have the funding for global health that come in such fragmented way that I think that's one of the main issues. That we cannot think of health in the way it, we should be thinking of it, which is a very holistic way. So, we have the funding for tuberculosis that come from funding for HIV, now funding for COVID. Mm. They are all coming in small silo, in small package. Mm. They want to see or to produce impact because that's the metrics by which by which they are assessing whether or not they are performing. And that's not helping to build a holistic system for the next disease that you know that that will come for sure, or the condition that is that exists in that community that is not being addressed because it's not the sexy disease of the moment for mm-hmm. example malnutrition like no one is putting thought of when malnutrition because it's there everybody knows it's there but it's not attracting people or maternal mortality right, oh, right. So, so the the one of the issues with global health is that 
that the fact that funding comes so um, divided, so siloed, mm. every disease, every single condition, you need the own infrastructure. They need you know the own physician. And when you work in a in a, in a community, I mean, I worked at some point in the district um, that was serving around half a million people. Um, and when a patient comes to the hospital, you can tell which, which what issues they have, or they have many issues. Mm-hmm. You know, they have malaria, but they have anemia, they are malnourished. Mm-hmm. So when you have funding that comes for nutrition or for malaria, like you cannot enroll the patient. I mean, it, it gets complicated. Like this call is a call to transport blood specimen for HIV testing, for mm-hmm. viral load. You cannot use it to transport. So the global health, I would say the main issue, one issue that I think could really have a huge impact is to how we can um, have more comprehensive funding for global health programs mm-hmm. where we are funding primary care as a unit. Mm-hmm. Like we are funding a community, a village, for all the basic services. Right. Um, so we can address everything. We can have, you know, um, epidemiological surveillance, no what is most prevalent in communities and we, we we are monitoring we are monitoring all that we are tracking all the um condition instead of having that reactive um engagement mm-hmm. by condition and that is creating kind of you know some 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 structure but that are just for that particular issue like now with the epidemic control of hiv we are coming close to to, to, to a point where we can say HIV is no longer the main issues mm-hmm. to attract um, public health funding. Right. But all the gain that have been done with HIV, how we can transfer them to something that is more holistic, um, that help um, uh, maintain health at community level. So for me, that will be one issue that I'm highly interested in, and I think that can help address um, present and future um, um, global health issue. Mm-hmm. And I would say, like everything that you're saying, you know, like people might listen and say, "Oh, you know, it's it's the global South, or you know, it's it's the countries over there." But actually, like you know, the United States too has many similar issues in terms of you know primary care and and not not providing care, especially for poor communities. Yeah, I know exactly, exactly. I mean, what I've seen in some—I live in the Maryland area. So uh-huh. what I've seen in in West Baltimore, mm-hmm. I can t- tell you, it's really remind me what I've seen in in Haiti yeah. or in Malawi yeah. Yeah. or elsewhere. Yeah. So what you're saying is completely true. I mean, there are services, but because they are siloed, because they are uh, divided either by geographic, mm-hmm. by 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 conditions, a lot of people are not doesn't have access to, to this thing. The same issue we, I saw in Haiti with French being used as a tool to prevent people to get access mm. to service. I'm seeing it with skin color here in um, um, in order, in area code, like zip code, mm. like, I mean, the service you're getting in it depends really on where you live. Interesting, yep. I think, um, thank you for that. That's actually really helpful, your the answer around the global health um it reminds me a lot of different learning i've done on community health centers um so that's that's really helpful and the last question we have as we wind down here is uh we are both nina and i are both teachers so i 
um, we're both teaching college adult learners. Um, I'm, I teach at UMass Amherst at times in the public health department. And then Indigo Radio is made up of teachers. A lot of them are teaching in the K through 12 schools. And we also work in a program that trains teachers and thinking about how do we bring the most important issues of our time into the classroom for all different ages. And I was wondering if you have any last thoughts on knowing that we're teachers, we're working with students, um, and really anyone really for that matter in the U.S., what, what are the most important things that we should be teaching and knowing about uh, Haiti and, and health? Yeah, thank you, thank you for the question. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a that's a complex. Like, if we have to 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 boil everything down into one thing, I would say um, I've learned a lot from a group um, I've worked with from Equal Health, and they have been teaching social medicine. So, one of the th- one of the elements I've learned from them um, and with them was understanding context, mm. understanding how people live. Understand, like being in that proximity to people and spending the time because this is not going to come like by just you know googling things it's mm-hmm. going to come with talking to people mm-hmm. and it's going to come with you know making you know your research it's it's not going to come easily uh, even with all the technology that is available so i think my my um um my my advice will be for the for the adult learner, that curiosity that I think was really valued in the previous generation, mm-hmm. where people wanted to know people culture, what people wanted to know understand people food, what people were willing to travel to places to risk um, to get uncomfortable from their own kind of uh, um, circle of of comfort, like that curiosity. It's at the heart of a lot of things that is beautiful. It's a lot of, it's at the heart of a lot of what has made the world a, a better place in a lot of different ways. Mm. So we should, we should not stop to be curious, to discover, to open ourselves to the other, to understand the context of people. I mean, if people have time, like go to a place, a neighborhood that is um, where uh, the, the the health metrics are showing that. There is, you know, issues. Yeah. Spend not, don't spend only your working hours there. Like, go for a soccer game, or I don't know, or or a basketball game. Mm-hmm. Understanding the context, mm-hmm. um, I think this is so rewarding um, at a personal and a, and a professional level. So, spending time to understand context really, really matter, and it's really um, rewarding. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> we're gonna. Um, before you go, we, if you could explain. Um, so I'm going to just jump to the last song um, by Jacques Schwartz-Bart. Um, and I, I think this was one where I think the, um, the song, you suggested one, but I couldn't find that song. So I just picked one by the artist. And this is a song called Sonne Kala. Um, do you, you do you know anything? Can you tell us a little, anything about the artist or? So so this artist Jack Shortbox and is part of this uh, group of very talented um, um, artists. They call they play what they call voodoo jazz. Mm. Um, you have in that group like folks like Jean Cas, Regional Polycos, and others. <laughs> um, 
this is remotely instrumental, and, and I think this captures some of the colorful and beautiful sound from Haiti. Mm. Um, so he has, um, it's really whatever you want to do with it. I mean, but I feel that this group has been able to have this modern touch mm. to the Haitian traditional song. And, and, and I mean, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's just beautiful and colorful. And I feel that this is Haiti. It's like a, it. a Haitian meal. It's, it just, <laughs> it just, it just flow um, in a way that is, that is beautiful. And so I also, enjoy. also want to mention like the first song, um, Haiti Cherie, like I, I'll put the, I will put the, um, the video, the YouTube video on our, our Facebook and in other places, but I recommend our listeners to watch the video because the, the artist just shows this beautiful Haiti and it, you know, so I, I appreciate so much so here yeah, we go and, and we just want to thank you so much yeah. for spending the hour with us uh i learned so much listening to you and we really appreciate the time that you spent with us today yes Dr. that was Pierre. a great pleasure i really enjoyed it thank you take care take care bye-bye